Hey, it's Hydraberg, a cut above horror review, episode 88. We're starting Creepy Children Month this week with David Cronenberg's 1979 film, The Brood, with surprise guest, friend of the show, Miles B. So kick back and enjoy yourself a lick of a blood-soaked fetus for episode 88 of a cut above horror review. It starts now. Cut my life into pieces! Good evening and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review. It's a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host Jacqueline and tonight we'll be discussing the film The Brood from 1979. Um, But first let's meet everybody else on the show. John's not with us tonight. He's going to be out actually for the next few weeks just taking care of some personal matters. But still hit him up on social media. Let him know you're thinking about him. And uh, hopefully he'll be back to rejoin us in just a few weeks. But who we who do we have with us tonight? First up, we have a very special guest who has never been on our show before. It's our good friend, Miles. What's up, Miles? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on the show. It's so exciting. So we know Miles from uh, Straight Chilling, you know, fandom fame. <laughs> uh, both Hydraberg and I have been yeah. friends with him for years, just, you know, talking in the Slack community that straight chillin has going on so um we were just talking before the recording started that it's actually our first time talking with voices to each other and but we've you know we know each other we've been talking online for yeah, years years so. now yeah. yeah we usually talk over zoom with sign language instead <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean talking yeah, us talking with miles specifically actually with yeah miles when you were on wax and the porpoise that was the first time i actually heard you like other than a voicemail on the on the straight chillin show right yeah, yeah. Like talk at length. Now, now I, th- I think, am I the first person, am I the first guest who, who's who been on who doesn't guest? Uh, uh, Joey, guest my husband. On show, yeah. Joey. My yeah, husband Joey. Joey does not have a podcast. That's right. Um, any others? I think that might be it. I think it's just, just you two. Yeah, I have no, I have zero content to plug. I'm just a guy <laughs> on the internet with bad opinions. <laughs> <laughs> But we love your bad opinions, and that's yeah, part of why uh, <laughs> we enjoy our friendship with you because it's always uh, it's always fun to hear your hot take, or even if your take isn't hot, the blunt way that you express it is entertaining <laughs> and sometimes uh, sometimes refreshing. So you know, I could listen to a podcast of just you complaining about stuff that you don't like. <laughs> I, I do get very animated at certain subjects yeah. for sure. <laughs> Well, I think I told you like a year ago, you need to have your own podcast and just it's called Miles Hates Stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> just tell us what you hate, Miles. We would love to listen. I'll tell you why I'm mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, I actually, um, I, don't, I don't know if that would, uh, I don't know if that would be, I actually, I actually don't like complaining about stuff, believe it or not. <laughs> kind, 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 yeah, I actually like talking about stuff I enjoy way more. I don't no, think you do I, it I know all the that's time. True. You're just passionate about certain stuff. So when it bo- when right. it bothers you, you're like you'll go on like an epic rant, which kind of like stands out in our minds. Are like, oh man, like m- remember that time Miles like went in on this thing? <laughs> he always gives me shit about my fan, like my fandom of the MCU. Whenever he gets a chance, and I always mess with. And you God bless you your, for it, your, Miles. Your, your fandom of I anime. Go to war to it. <laughs> I literally <laughs> pretend like anime is like it's like dumb. I just. I'm just not into it, but I like to give you shit about it. Like as if like, it's the worst thing in the world. It's not. 
Yeah, it's like a shtick that you guys have. Yeah. It's like a little right. It's like when I mess with Jim about the frighteners. Each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Although Jim, if you're listening, that movie fucking sucks. <laughs> oh God. Oh, uh, let's not reignite that one. But yeah, no, Miles, we know that you actually love stuff and you're passionate and your fandom. Like I said, it's kind of a shtick more than anything that like we've kind of pinned on you that like, oh, Miles is the guy that hates everything, even though we know that that's not really true. But it's kind of a fun persona to like put on you. You know, so, what's and- funny is when I when I met Bob and uh, Alice and Bob I'm referring to as Bob from Straight Chilling, uh, they were actually uh traveling and they ended up in my town and we actually went out and had a drink with them and actually <laughs> i kind of um uh talked about i was talking to bob and i said i, I think everybody on the slack thinks i'm an asshole i was like i really don't mean to come off that way i was like people think i hate everything <laughs> See, I don't no, think no, it, nobody thinks that <laughs> i don't think anybody thinks that at all like i said i think it's just like a little character that we like it's a little exaggeration that we right that we have right. of you but we know that it's not really like rooted in truth you know, it's just. A, I always a thought story. I was the guy that people thought was an asshole. Oh, you are. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's Unfortunately, right. I like this movie a lot, so you won't hear me complain too much about it. Well, cool. I want to hear you like, uh, you know, f- fan out over it. So for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'm excited. This is going to be great. Um. Well, before we get into that, uh, you guys want to hear some news? Sure. Sure. All right. So I'm sure we all know that the next installment of the Scream franchise, Scream 6, will be released this Thursday in theaters. Who's excited? I got my ticket. Oh, you have yours already? Yeah, I'm not the biggest Scream guy, but I'm going to go check it out. Okay. Miles, how do you feel about it? I'd be lying if I said I was excited about it. The Scream franchise, it is very passable it's, it's kind of it, it's it's they're all watchable none i don't think any of them are bad i've never watched a screen movie and not enjoyed it in some to some in some capacity but i've just never really been excited about it um okay. i I'll, I'll definitely see this one i might wait until it comes out on vod uh, unless yeah. it gets like crazy crazy buzz crazy reviews um i might go check it out in the theater but yeah scream is just one of those franchises where i just don't get super excited about it i'm with you man I hear that. I think I'm a little more like Team Bob on this one. Um, it's it's actually one of my favorite franchises. You know, they're not all consistent, you know, of consistent quality, but I do think, like you said, Miles, they're all at least decent. I mean, there's none mm-hmm. that just like totally fucking suck. And so, like, even the worst scream movie is better than a lot of the worst movies in other franchises. So I think fine. they hit something for people too, <laughs> nostalgically, too. Uh like everybody remembers that first one and like how old they were when it came out and like how for some people like that might have been uh the first screen movie might have been you know um it, like kind of shook the, the the horror game up a little bit during the 90s where like it played on tropes that you know nobody really actually mentioned before mm-hmm. you know and it got meta in a in, a, in the first film it, it really works for it and then I think for some people, that's their first scary movie also you know because it's from the younger generation so everybody's got to like a memory based around that first one, especially. And then I think, uh, you know, the sequels over time for me, they're not, they, they're kind of just, they kind of do the same thing a little bit. They have a formula, but it works. So, I mean, I can't begrudge them. I've watched 47, uh, Marvel movies that has a formula, so I can't really begrudge anybody for enjoying a franchise like that. Yeah. So. yeah. Man, Hyderberg is jumping right in front of the MCU critique. <laughs> I have to, I'm like the only one on the show that even likes it. <laughs> 
Oh, Lord. Well, so with the Scream, uh, you know, film coming this week, what you guys might may not know is that Ghostface has been spotted in many cities across the U.S. over the past days and weeks heading east towards New York City. And oh, wow. he's actually been captured on like uh, surveillance cameras and, and stuff like that, just like standing in front of cams, just like looking at him. People are noticing Ghostface just like standing around looking creepy and um one person i forget which town but one person actually called 911 from being so creeped out by seeing this dude just standing there so i'm sure it's a publicity stunt but it's kind of cool that it's like this one dude who's kind of working his way east i want to see like a road map uh uh, like with the little ghost face marker like traveling (laughs) like john candy or something or you know what i mean like steve martin and they're like traveling on the road together Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Christmas when they did the Santa tracker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Next up, there's a new film coming out in June. It's going to be released right around Juneteenth. Not exactly on the date, but around that weekend. It's called The Blackening. Have you guys seen the trailer for this? Yes. Yes, I saw it a few days ago and I rewatched it today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's supposed to be kind of like a horror comedy slasher um, playing on the tropes of uh, black people in horror movies. What do you guys think about the trailer? It's it's hard to tell with uh, trailers because they can make the movie, the movie's tone seem a certain way. And then we actually see it. It's not maybe doesn't match up with what they portray in the trailers. Uh, So with like a horror comedy, it it varies how much it leans into horror and how much it leans into comedy. Cause you have like something like an American Werewolf in London where it's almost half and half it's a comedy, but it's still very much a horror. And you have something that's like almost in a parody territory, like scary movie. Um, this trailer, I kind of got more scary movie vibes almost yeah. uh, where it seemed like it was more of a parody than a, than a straight like horror comedy. It didn't seem like the horror was very horrific. Uh, and again, that could be something that's portrayed just the way they cut the trailer, they might have played up the jokes more than in the actual movie. Um, I, yeah, I, it looked okay. It looked okay. Um, not something that got me super excited. Some of the jokes were funny in it. Um, I'll wait again. I'll wait to hear the buzz on it, and if it's very positive, I might go check it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to smiles on that one. Uh, they don't really show any of the kills, so I don't know. You know. Um... Like you said, Miles, like it's mostly played for jokes, but who knows that the kills could be like gruesome if there are deaths in the, you know, and then they could kind of straddle that line a little bit on the horror side, like the more gruesome side of horror. Uh, but for right now, like you said, it does just look kind of like a, a a comedy. You know, it's from the makers of like Barbershop and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, Girls Trip or whatever, yeah, Girls yeah, Weekend so, or whatever that is. I mean, it, there's some funny jokes I definitely laughed at. I liked the theme music. I liked the Nas song, Made You Look. Um I thought that was dope. Um, I don't know. There's a DMX joke. I don't know how many people are going to get all that. Some, some of the jokes seem like they they might be towards older um, people. And I noticed not that out as much. So, I mean, I don't know. It looks interesting. It looks I'm I'm just so curious whether the killer is a white person or a black person or like what they're going to do with that. Because I feel like that's going to be sort of like the hook is like. I don't know. Or it's, it could be something supernatural because it, yeah, it could be. Well, there's a guy game. in a mask. That's um. Yeah, but yeah that's you're right. True. That's and true. they find this like weird board game and they're like, it must work on racism because <laughs> they can't get it to work at first. Uh, it looks yeah. funny, but yeah, 
Yeah, it did seem to, the trailer seemed to focus more on like the jokes in the movie rather than the horror elements. But like you said, you mentioned the guy in the mask. So that it kind of reminded me of Jigsaw in, uh, or not Jigsaw, but Billy, you know, the little puppet thing. Kind of reminded me of um, the collector, like that leather mask that the collector has a little bit. Yeah. So maybe that's a little hint or indication that there's going to be, you know, some real horror behind this too. I don't know. I hope so. Cause that, that's a yeah. nice, that's a good blend when like you have some jokes, but then the horror is real. Yeah. So like these people start bugging out, like they're telling jokes to make themselves feel a little bit better about what's going on. But then, you know, somebody gets killed brutally in front of them and then they're like, Oh shit, this is real. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, who's going to die first. We don't know that all the characters are black. So. Yeah, yeah, that's so that's one yeah. of the jokes in the trailer is yeah. like, you I know, think it's funny. There's not many films yeah. kind of with this kind of these jokes. So I, 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 I don't know. It could be different. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, that's one of the jokes, obviously, that it's acknowledging is that one of these tropes that we're all aware of is that in slasher movies, you know, routinely the black person is the first one to die. But it even says in like the title cards in the trailer, when everyone is black, you know, they can't all be first. Mm. Yeah, I'll die first. Yeah. yeah and there's <laughs> that there's that hook in where they're like the killer is like, you have to decide who's the blackest of you all who dies first. And then they're all trying to pro- prove like who's the blackest. But they're and, not that black. <laughs> yeah. The one guy's like, I'm definitely not the blackest. And he talks like a nerdy white guy and he's like, I voted for Trump like, twice. Twice. <laughs> yeah. To me, that was the funniest yeah. joke. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that one landed for me pretty good. Yeah. He was like an Urkel type. Yeah. I don't know if people nowadays know Urkel, you know, people who are yeah. younger than us. Boy. We're really aging ourselves. This I old. know. <laughs> this is a podcast for old horror fans. <laughs> <laughs> we don't cater to those whippersnappers. Uh, speaking of whippersnappers, some new news about the uh, the new Alien kind of reboot done by Fede Alvarez. We know about this, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so some new details are coming out. Um, the The film is supposed to go into production, I believe, next month. And it's written and directed by Fede Alvarez, co-written by, what's his name, Rodos Sayagas, um, who also co-wrote the Evil Dead remake, which, okay. of course, Fede Alvarez. Yeah. Uh, so some new details. Uh, this film is designed to be an original standalone feature, not necessarily a sequel or prequel. It's designed to stand alone. And... Plot details are being kept in a cryo chamber, but as opposed to other movies, which focus on adults in corporate, militaristic, and scientific roles, this installment of the franchise will focus on a group of young people, aka whippersnappers. So how excited are you guys about this one? I don't, I'm not, but I'm, uh, I'm optimistic because of who's putting it out. Um, I like the theme of like, get away from the corporation, just make it a survival horror again. Um, You know, one alien on a ship, you don't need 20. One alien's enough to take out a group of people on a ship, desolate ship. I like the, um, what was it you said? Um, That it's a standalone. Don't build it into the lore of the, the last, you know, nine films or whatever it was. Like if you make something new, maybe there's also a TV show coming out too, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know much about that, but but I know there is Miles. Problems. You actually you just picked Alien Three for the straight chilling for your uh, you pick. I did, yeah, I did, yeah. Alien is my it's probably my favorite horror. Yeah, franchise. I picked Aliens last time I had I did, one. Yeah, um, my favorite horror franchise. Uh, I just I wish they would stop. I, I wish they would just stop. 
<laughs> it just it's it's diminishing returns every time they they make a new movie um i really really did not like covenant um and i know uh Betty alvarez is involved with this one but he was also involved with texas chainsaw the last one and that just that just completely soured it for me <laughs> yeah that exactly. sucked just straight yeah. up it just sucked so i just i'm 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 at a point where i'm over the horror reboots just I, I'm way more excited for new things now. It, but yeah, just if I wish they would stop. <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, I I'll always be open to giving these things a chance, but they're not going to be the things that I'm most excited about. I mean, just in the past year, all the all the stuff that everybody was talking about. I mean, we've all agreed that 2022 was an abundance of riches, or a, mm. a, what's the term? An embarrassment of riches for mm-hmm. horror releases and i think we all agree that the most interesting ones were pretty much original stories that weren't part of some other franchise or reboot or sequel or spin-off or whatever yeah very very rarely do you get inspired uh like legacy sequels now it's all it, it, and you not you you do get the occasional gem where it turns out really well but mm-hmm. it just at this point it just feels like oh we have this property there's a slot on the schedule we need a movie People know yeah. this, so let's put the movie out. And yeah, and they have to put a movie out during a certain amount of time, otherwise they lose they lose the license. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I hope it's good. I hope it's great. Um, that I would love that, but <laughs> I just I, I at this point, like as long as the franchise has been around, I don't know what else they can do that's interesting, like yeah. or new for the, for the franchise. Yeah, and this new film was supposed. To, there were several iterations of this film that were going to come out. There was a Neil Blomkamp um, version that got like scrapped. Uh, Ridley Scott was going to do something. Then I don't know if he has something to do with the TV show now or what. Um, I think he might be producing this film okay. version by Fede Alvarez. Fede Alvarez is actually doing this film. Like it's his film. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Because that makes right. me feel a little bit better because Miles, you mentioned Texas Chainsaw 2022. And he just produced that one, right? Yeah. His name was just like attached to it. And I don't know how much he really had to do with that. But you're right. That movie was trash. Yeah. Fede Alvarez is co-writing and directing and Ridley Scott is producing. I mean, that makes me a little bit more optimistic, but I don't know. It sucks because you're right. Like, leave it alone. But when we know they're not right. So if they're going to put right. something out, at least I hope they put out something good. And if this has like a younger crowd attached to it, maybe it's going to be like a, a requel, as they call them nowadays, or a, a reboot or a soft reboot or whatever. And if it's written well, I mean, maybe you can do something good there. I don't know. Yeah, I said this when I announced it, but um, I don't know what the plot is yet, but if it's uh, about a bunch of influencers uh, colonizing LV426 yeah. and uh, gentrifying the aliens out of their home, oh God. Uh, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, and one of the aliens has a heart attack and his son gets really, their son gets really pissed. It's really pissed, yeah. Yeah, the queen has a heart attack. To kick her out <laughs> yeah, of her because home. they put a Starbucks yeah, where her pod was. Amazing. Well, I can't add to that comedy gold. <laughs> <laughs> Game over, man. Game over. Game over. All right. Um, so Hyderberg, this was your pick, correct? The Brood? It was. All right. Why did you pick this film for us today? Because I'm a very brooding kind of guy. You know what I mean? I just, you are. You were really just like Batman, brooding. like Jon Snow. I'm just brooding all the time. Uh, no, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, this is so this month's theme is creepy kids or creepy children. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that. Sorry. Yeah. So um, <laughs> The Brood just I've only seen it once before this. And I just recently bought it and it just um, it's it's got that creepy kid vibe to it. 
and I do love a good Cronenberg film. And I, I've seen a, I've seen a decent amount of Cronenberg's films, but there's still several of his like earlier work that I haven't seen as much. Like I just saw Shivers for the first time. I've seen Rabbit once. Um, Crimes of the Future actually comes with this. The, his like original version of that. It's on there. Oh, on the disc. Yeah. As a bonus. So I'm going to try and watch that one of these days. But The Brood, uh, I watched it last year and I just I really dug it. Um, I feel like it has a decent amount to say, too. It's not just like there's definitely some interesting themes at play with it. And um, as per usual, I feel like with the Cronenberg film and I thought like it would just be a good one to start out the the theme for the month. Cool. Yeah, I'd say this is a. This is our first true Cronenberg film. We've we've done yeah. this is our first Daddy Berg. Yes. We did Possessor. But that's his that's son. That's Baby Berg. Yeah, Baby Berg. So Hydroberg, are you related to the Daddy Berg and Baby Berg? Uh no relation. Uncle actually. Uncle Hydroberg. Yeah, no relation. But I mean, if hey, if if he wants to write me in his will, I'm all for it. <laughs> Please tell me you got the criterion edition. Of I this. did actually. That's what I got. Yeah. Awesome. Very nice. Yeah, they had a sale a while back when they had that Barnes and Noble sale, and I and I scooped, I swooped in and grabbed that. I grabbed Videodrome and uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, awesome! Cool, cool. I love that Videodrome set from Criterion. Yeah, it's, it's nice so cool. Stuff cover and everything. It's really yeah, cool. I have that one. It's really nice. Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely picking up the Brood next time they have their summer sale. Yeah, it's cool. Me There's too. A documentary on there. I just watched today too. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, it's maybe like you can bring some minute. of that in. I yeah, I have some trivia written down that I picked up from it. I don't know if it's trivia that's in the imdb or so i wrote it down just in case awesome all right cool i can't wait to hear it because i do not have that criterion edition and i did not see that documentary so i'm looking forward to learning fellas shall we decide whether this film fucks or sucks sure all right miles would you like to go first uh yeah um this movie definitely fucks i really enjoy this movie i haven't seen all of Cronenberg's movies actually probably haven't seen most of them. Um, I definitely, every movie I've seen from him, uh, I've seen Videodrome, uh, this, uh, Scanners, uh, Crimes of the Future. I've seen a few, but he's a bunch of movies I haven't seen. Every mm-hmm. time I see a movie of his, I absolutely love it. Um, I definitely want to make go through all his filmography and check everything out. But this movie, yeah, this movie fucks. Um, it's one of those fucks where it's really good, but you meet their kids and they don't like you. <laughs> uh, that's the, that's the litmus test. Yeah. The kids like yeah. you. They've got little beaks and no belly buttons and it's a little weird. And, you know, you just want to, you might want to move on just cause you can't, you can't get past that. Yep. Yep. Heard that. Hydraberg, does this movie fuck or suck? Uh, this is a sick and unsettling fuck. One that you may need to see a therapist about till you manifest little fuck demons. Little fuck demons. That's what I'm going to call my kids from now on. (laughs) You little fucking fuck demons. Oh, that's their new nickname. Yes, it fucks. Okay. That's you, Jacqueline. Yeah, it fucks. Um, I, I think this is actually one of my top three favorite Cronenberg films, I would say. Um, there's so much going on here. I'm so excited to talk about it all. Um, there's just like a Cronenberg vibe, you know, that I just, I love. Uh, I don't think this film is necessarily for everybody. I wouldn't like blanket recommend this for like every viewer, but, um, I think it's pretty special. Um, I think it's like really amazing. Yeah. 
So yeah, it fucks. But also it's life is a little too complicated right now. Mm. So yeah. All right. Hydroberg, do you want to drop that spoiler warning for us? Uh, yeah, we're about to spoil the shit out of uh, 1979, David Cronenberg's The Brood. Um, so pause the podcast, uh, go watch the movie, and then come back and listen to what we have to say. Awesome. Do you have a reach around for us, Hydroberg? I do. Okay. Whenever you guys are ready. I am ready. All right. A cutting edge procedure, psychoplasmic therapy, and a doctor overeager. A messy divorce, no love left in either. A mother of trauma and a father that seeks her. The help she deserves, but unaware of her treatment. This mother inside her festers a secret. Session after session, she makes such great strides as miniature killers are birthed from her insides. They carry out her bidding, fueled by her rage, then expire prematurely with limited age. As Nola makes breakthroughs in therapy, her minions of rage cause all sorts of calamity. She may be in need of a psychosis hysterectomy. A victim, no doubt, of her own inner trauma, while her murderous children bludgeon with trauma. As she licks blood from a fetus, a vision that's crude. Her daughter, just like her, with her own inner feud. A mother who simply had love for her brood. Whoa, that one was like, that one has a lot to chew on. What was that phrase? It was supposed to be inner drama and then trauma, bludgeoning trauma, but that's fine. What was the phrase you, you used? Something about a something hysterectomy? Yeah, I was like, is this kind of controversial to throw in there? But I felt yeah. like like psychosis hysterectomy. Psychosis like, hysterectomy. That's interesting. I feel because like these things like while. manifest from her her trauma and her psychosis or like it's I don't know. I, I'll be honest, when I first viewed this movie, I viewed her as like the true villain, right? But when you really she she's a sympathetic villain. I feel like she's not really we don't get a, a lot with her early on to know what her and Frank's relationship was like. We know that she was, that it was, there was a lot of turmoil. It was tumultuous, but we know we find out that she's come from a past where she's, she was possibly abused and there's trauma in her life. That's, you know, been deep down inside of her and it's affected her over time. Um, so we don't know what the type of woman she was before this kind of came to light. Um mm-hmm. And the film kind of paints her as a villain a little bit, but I feel like there's so many layers to every character in this film. Mm, um, just mm-hmm. like the doctor, I feel like the doctor could easily be seen as like a villain right away. Like that's what you want to think. Like the film kind of paints him as one. You're going to think he is, but he's not really. He's a little overzealous, like in his treatment. He's very like, I don't know, maybe he, he maybe strokes his own ego a little bit as far as his, the treatment for his patient, you know, because he's aware of the, um, the brood like that they're being spawned but also that's like a huge step forward in his 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 therapy like his method of therapy like everybody else is kind of manifesting rashes or boils and things of this nature which is it's also very interesting um i don't know like i don't know that there's any real therapy like that like Cronenberg, i think kind of made this up uh i read it is actually based on on something real it's not quite the okay. same but it's similar um i know the body sometimes will manifest things like our mind can manifest things but yeah, for therapy section to sort of use that as like you manifest these rashes or boils or hives and then that's sort of like you getting your trauma from out from inside out and pushing it outside of you and it manifests outside your of your body you know what i mean in a physical form it's an mm-hmm. interesting premise 
It is. I I would maybe argue that it's not quite so clear cut that he's not a villain, that he's like, you know, that his therapy is he's just, you know, trying to help people. But we can save that for later. Miles, what's your opinion about whether or not there's a villain in this story, you know, specifically um, like Nola or Raglan? Yeah, uh, I definitely think if there is a villain, it is Raglan. Um, yeah, he. Yeah, it, it, it's unclear at first. Um, you can't tell if he's doing this for you know fame uh, and a, and you know notoriety or if he's actually trying to help these people. I think that kind of they kind of put a definitive uh, point on that when he sends everybody away as soon as he starts getting like the results he's actually looking for. Because then you're like, he's not really interested in helping these people because he's abandoning abandoning the rest of his patients. See, that's uh, not how I took Nola. that actually. I took that as in he pushed them away because of, of Nola and the fact that her manifestations were starting to really, once the first murder or two showed up, that's when he kicked his patients out. And I thought about it too. Like you said, like maybe he was just, she was the star patient and everybody else didn't matter. But then I was wondering, well, what if he, you know, cause he's kind of harboring these things. Um, so like he's guilty of that, but he doesn't realize that they're breaking out at first and that, you know, their manifestations of her rage and that anybody that she kind of focuses on during her therapy sessions, they're going out and fucking bludgeoning to death or killing. So I think once that happens, that's sort of when it times up when he kind of pushes his other patients away. So I couldn't tell whether it was, like you said, an ego thing or he was looking after the other patients. I can see that. Yeah, I yeah, I, de I definitely took it um, that he he was uh kicking them out since he had found what he was actually looking for. But yeah, I could definitely see that as well. It could be, yeah, it could be that way too. I though. mean, I think it can be both. Yeah. I think it can. I think, the, you know, one doesn't have to exclude the other. I think he can, you know, want to really focus on Nola, but at the same time recognize that they also need to get out of there because they're, you know, they could be in danger. I, I mean, know. she does, she does take center stage because of look at what she's capable of. Like none of the other, Every other patient he has like manifests like boils or like a rash or something small. Like this woman is literally creating small children, like little miniature doppelgangers. And like, I don't think anybody else has done that before in his therapy. So it's a huge step forward too uh, in his work. Yeah. And I had a, um, I had a question about uh, his therapy. I think it's, I think they called it uh, was it psychoplasmics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I wasn't really clear on because it seemed like this was something he was doing to them. Uh, this this method, this therapy is like something he invented. But uh, they mentioned that she had signs of this when she was a little girl. And they did, the end, and of course, it skipped to the end. I mean, her daughter is exhibiting signs of it as well. So yeah, I was a little unclear on whether or not this was something he was he he has invented, or if this was something that he was finding people who already um, had these traits and just kind of helping them along, advancing them, you know. Forward. I think you might be, I think that might be it. He might've learned of these sort of uh, people with this issue and then learned that you, that you, there was a way to, through therapy to manifest them to the surface um, possibly because they do mention early on that the, when uh, Candace asks her grandmother about her mother, she says something about like, oh, your 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 mother was always in the hospital and she had um, issues with her skin and 
a terrible rash or something like that or mm-hmm. welts yeah. welts all over welts, her body yeah. yeah or all over her skin so yeah that is mentioned early on yeah i i kind of i don't know if this is right because I, I think there's a lot in this film that is left ambiguous on purpose but i personally just kind of took it as the other patients that he's working with i feel like he is making this happen in them through the treatments that he's administering to them. But for her, the reason that her physical manifestations are so extreme and so much like more significant than the other patients is because she already has this proclivity in her. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. And it was like through his therapy is how she was able to create the brood. Mm -hmm. Like it might've just been like we see on the daughter or later on, it's like these Mm -hmm. boils or like hive like pox mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I do think I was confused too, because that's my, one of my complaints is sort of his method is a little convoluted on like how, is he giving them any type of medicines or like anything other than just speaking to them? Like what is his they, procedure? They don't explain how it works. Exactly. We just get that, that initial opening scene of him very much like scanners too. Um, Mm-hmm. where the movie starts with like a lecture hall sort of and a demonstration going on. And it's the doctor speaking to that one patient. Um, and he was like criticizing the man's weaknesses and his gender identity and like implying that little girls are weak. And like, he was basically taking the place of his father and things that his father had said to him. Yeah. And through that manifesting the you know, getting his trauma to sort of surface. And then I guess that's a way of dealing with it. Like, you deal with it, it comes out of your body in a sense. And then, you know, the, the highs and stuff will go away. And that's you basically expelling it, which is mm. it's an interesting idea. Especially from seven, like 1979. I guess knowing Cronenberg, I the way I thought about it was that there has to be something else going on in his so-called therapy besides just the sort of like role-playing approach that he seems to take because that's already an established technique in other therapeutic methods. Like that's yeah. not revolutionary. Um, and just the the fact of having the word plasmics in the name of this approach suggests to me that there is some kind of physical component. Now, I agree with you that if that is true, then I think that's a lack on the movie's part that we're not even vaguely clued into what that physical yeah. component might be. Um, but just knowing Cronenberg and like, for example, the, you know, some of the themes explored in video drone with like the impact, you know, he's exploring the idea that like our addiction to technology is going to like fuse us with it. And while also like killing us, it's like, we're evolving into like almost like a cyborg type creature, like human yeah. plus technology, but also at the same time, it's like carcinogenic and we have these growths and um, not to like go too much into video drone, but to me, there's just similar themes. Really? Okay. I haven't seen that yet, but I'm dying to. So it just makes me think that knowing him, there's, there's more to it than just like talk therapy and role playing. Um, But yeah, I agree with you that that's a weakness that we don't, I don't need to be shown exactly what it is, but if there is something else going on here, I'd like to be clued in. I think they could a have fleshed it out a little bit more. I don't know if it was ah, a yeah. thing. You made a pun. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, or I wonder if, because we're sort of seeing things through the lens of Frank, that maybe Frank's not really in the know of what's going on. Um, you know, this is experimental procedure. His ex, his ex-wife, his ex right? They're going through mm-hmm. a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he brings his daughter there and then he's kind of cued in that something's off because his daughter's coming back with these markings. 
on her, like bites and bruises um, from time spent with her mother. And he's not allowed to see the mother. Nobody is really, except for Candace. And it's also, I kind of I kind of feel like it's a detriment to the film a little bit that there's never any time, it's part of my trivia, is like the actress who played Candace never met um, Samantha Egger until the rap party of the film. So like they never actually spent any time on set together. Oh. There's no scenes with them, which is interesting. Really, yeah. A film about the mother and daughter I mean, that might feed into maybe that's on purpose because it feeds into like her want to see her daughter or like, I don't know um, why the brood eventually goes after the daughter in the very end. But it's it's implied that she sees her daughter on a regular basis through visitation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, when you think about it, I mean, for a film that is so centered around motherhood and this particular mother and what is radiating out of her relationships throughout the movie. Like she's not actually in it that much. And no. she only, I mean, she's almost kind of a minor character in terms of like how much screen time she has. And I read that she actually only filmed for four days. Yeah. Four days. Uh, she, but I will say the time that she's on screen, she, she's excellent. Like she's one of the, mm. the highlights of the film to me. Um, it's, it's, it's maybe one of my favorite horror performances. Yeah. And she's like, Very she's kind of just sitting there the entire time, right? Like every time we see her, she's kind of lounging or sitting. Um, mm -hmm. And then we get the final reveal in the end, which kind of makes the film. Um, yeah, I just I do think that she definitely delivers like a really good performance. It's kind of subdued in the beginning. And then like towards the end, she just has her whole monologue. With the fetus and stuff where, you know, we're jumping ahead, but it's just it's. It's the part of the film I was just like, damn, I didn't see this coming. I think it's the most memorable scene of and the I film. And I had heard probably. about it a little bit, but I, it's like you can hear about a film. And, but once you see it actually played out, you're like, oh, this is why people are yeah. really always talking about this part of the film. Mm -hmm. um, what was I going to say? Oh, I do really, too. I really like the doppelgangers. Like, I like the... We get the like the little snowsuits that they have on and the snowsuit that Candace has on. It's like it's just like a little weird. It's just a costume thing, but it's such it's very iconic um, because she's got this little snowsuit on. And then the doppelgangers have like similar outfits on. And there's other children in the film, too, later on in the school field like that have. So it, it gives it like a sense of dread where like, are these things everywhere? We don't know. Like, where are they? Like, is that one of them? There's a kid with his back to us. Is that there was a moment where there's there's two kids on the swing together. And everybody else has gone into this, to the classroom and they're like kind of outliers like they didn't go in yet. And I was like, mm. oh, are those the fucking are those the the um, the brood, the broodettes or whatever? The, the <laughs> I don't know what they call them. I forgot the what they broodettes. call them. I the, treat all children like brood monsters. So just a, just a Miles, I'm with you, man. Yeah. Keep just them assume. Away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, Miles, in your opinion, what what are the things that work best in this film? Um, I really think it's, it's very strong thematically. Um, the idea of trauma turning into, I mean, cause, or trauma and, uh, you know, abuse, uh, being passed along. Um, I think they show that with the, uh, daughter at the end of the movie, uh, showing some of the same symptoms the mom had when she was a little girl that, that little girl is fucked for life, by the way. She, yeah, <laughs> she, she saw what three murders. And yeah. then at the end, I don't know. 
so I was actually concerned for this actress who's playing Candy because she's either the best actress of all time or they really terrified her at that end scene where they're coming after and she is screaming. I was like, I was like, she looks like she is not okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And I do feel like that end scene is kind of what manifested those, those boils in the very end. Like mm-hmm. uh, her mother's trauma inflicted on her. It's like a cyclical thing. It's like, and it's like speaking, I think on like family traumas too. And there's these families sometimes where like dad was abused by his dad. So he abuses, you know, whether he likes it or not, he doesn't plan to, but he ends up abusing his kid and then, you know, so on and so on, unfortunately. And it's just like a, it's a fucked up cycle that people get stuck in and it tears apart families and it can create monsters in a sense. You know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. Adults will grow into monsters to their kids if they're abusing them. And like, this young girl, unfortunately, like because of this last moment, like thing of being attacked by all these brood and seeing her like having her mother deal with this. Uh, yeah, it's like it's imprinted on her. Um, well, it's, it's not the first it, time it, it's that she's her had, the whole time. It's not the first time that she's had an encounter with the brood, though. Yeah, they she, were responsible yeah. for that original beating. That's what cues Frank into. Yeah, I think Frank's a pretty interesting character, too. He's there's not a ton of like stuff with him, but I think he's sympathetic and I. And I can get behind like the single or the dad dealing with divorce. And I feel like he still cares about his wife, but he ultimately is putting his daughter first. That's his main concern Mm -hmm. is his daughter's safety. And I I like their relationship together. You don't get a ton of it, unfortunately. But, you know, he bathes her and he sees these markings and it's it's ultimately a red flag to him. He's super fucking upset about it. Um, And he goes right. Which is good. Yeah. That makes me really like him that he's not just like laissez faire about it. Like he cares. He notices. And he takes action. Yeah. And even like there's that little bit of moment with him and the teacher where like there could have been a romance there, but he he it's not important to him right now. Like, yeah, he has her over for dinner, but it's more about like his daughter's well-being. And like they talk about the daughter. Uh, I'm kind of glad that the film didn't kind of like, hey, what are you doing next week? You know what I mean? Like, it, obviously, we can infer that. But and then the teacher gets killed fucking brutally in mm. front of the children later, which I that's a scene that. It makes me laugh and it makes and it also makes me it's it's horrific at the same time because it's, it's in front so of over the top. It's so, it's so over, over the top, top, except these little things are using these like Fisher Price fucking like toy mallets. <laughs> but they're so powerful. That's what I'm guessing is that like they're so powerful because we see them later on. Like one of them throws like a snow globe or like a little fucking like through the, gl- through the fucking wall. Like they're super powerful. These things. Well, they're powered by her rage. Right? Yeah. And, and, and once, when they and gang up on you, there's spent. like a couple, like, you know, when the brood gets on you it's you're, you're going down, you know? So they see like two of these things just beat this woman to death in mm. front of these children. It's, it's a horrific scene, you know? Yeah. yeah. I agree spe- with speaking you. Of, and, and, and speaking of um, th- this, so the Oliver Reed's character, Dr. Raglan at the end, he gets attacked by all of them and ultimately killed. Yeah. Uh, I think there's what, four or five on him. Um, I had a question for you guys. Cause I was wondering this because I'm weird like that during the scene. I was like, how many of those children could I take on before they ultimately killed me? So, Miles, I pictured it like that that gif of the dude at the party who's just smacking everybody, and some of them <laughs> are just children walking out to him, and he's yeah. just smacking anybody that walks in, you know, within range of him. That's what I, I think. I, I feel like I could whoop about six of them before they... The- before they started coming at me. Well, and I guess dude, it you do Brazilian jujitsu. Like, yeah. of course, you can of manage. In the hold. I think that scene is pretty powerful, too. And that's what kind of makes me think that Raglan's not necessarily like a true villain, right? Like, he does risk his own life to save the daughter of Frank. 
And he understands that, that, like, I don't think he was trying. He was never egging on Nola to become this thing. Like he it started happening. And we don't know that, do we? I feel like it was just I feel like her creating these broods was just I don't think he knew that this was going to happen. I think she was it was like a it was like an event that happened that he was not he was not aware that this therapy maybe did. And then he he did his own hubris did. Yes, he he definitely condoned it in a sense because he was like, you know, he put them in their own little fucking bunker. Yeah. Yeah, I know. He he wasn't aware that they were escaping at night. And when he was, that's when I feel like he sent away his patients. He started carrying a gun. And then when Frank got there, he was very like cool with Frank about it. Like, yeah, he drove the gun on him. But then he was like, all right, I'll show you your wife. And this is the plan. I'll go get your daughter. You need to, you know, distract Nola because she's very powerful right now. Like he was, I don't know. I feel like he's not like a, like a great guy. Don't get me wrong. I just don't feel like there's like, he's like a true villain necessarily in the film either. Cause he does die. He sacrifices himself to save Candace. Yeah. True. Well, I, yeah, I, I, he's I not, wouldn't make he's a, not a mustache. He's not like a total no, piece of no. shit is what I'm saying. No, I wouldn't, right. I would not make the argument that he's like a pure villain, you know, through and through, but I think he definitely has some serious ethical breaches. Yeah, no, he does. Especially um, as a doctor, he's, there's some issues where he should have, he should have put the kibosh on some things very early. Yeah. So I kind of want to back up and like lead up to this moment a little bit yeah. because I've I've read reviews where people call this a misogynistic film, like punishing or like portraying a woman in a bad light who deviates from like expectations. So um, you know, our our friend Caitlin, who has a podcast called the Plug It Up Podcast, she talks a lot about the monstrous feminine, right? Yeah, and this is definitely so, a prime movie for that. Yeah, but it's like it's complicated because um like in this culture, motherhood is considered sacred, right? And any perversion of like the purity of motherhood is considered pervert like perverse or like yeah. totally deviant, right? Like very little is as shocking as mothers who behave in ways that we don't expect them to. Like stories about mothers killing their children, I think, are more like sensationalized and more memorable and more seen as more deviant than like men who commit, you know, violent crimes against their children or do do horrible things as fathers. Right. Exactly. But like the, 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 the concept of motherhood is like sacrosanct. I mean, it's just like inviolable. And so a story like this, where the expectations of motherhood are not met in so many ways. Right. So like Nola's mother, She's like a drunk. She abuses her daughter. She kind of like tries to evade responsibility for how she treated her daughter. And she's, oh, everybody wants to blame the mother. And, you know, she acts like she's very put upon. But we also don't know what she has endured, you know, in her generational cycle. You know, you talked about this being like a cycle of trauma. Yeah. Um, and so, the, the, like, the things that the mother and then Nola herself for a while as viewers, we're aware that there's a possibility that she has beaten her daughter. Of course, by the end, you find out that it was actually the brood, but we're like kind of sitting. But they're driven by her. They are driven by her. She's not conscious of their specific actions, which is, I think, crucial to like how the movie functions. But um, but it is still an extension of her. So like Mm -hmm. to a degree, is she the one, you know, who beat her daughter? I mean, you could argue I think both ways probably. Um, But also like, 
okay, so this is like a bad woman. This is like a monstrous woman, right? But you can also look at it through the lens that like this woman has been victimized by her mother and her father through inaction. And she's also, I think, being treated kind of as a guinea pig by this doctor. Uh, It's an experimental procedure to begin with. And then. Yeah. Well, and the fact that all of his patients are having these grotesque physical symptoms, I think in and of itself is like proof positive that this is unethical treatment. It doesn't seem to be helping anybody. It doesn't seem to have done any of of his patients any good. Mike is still totally fucked up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Mike is fucked up. They seem super reliant on him now. Like once they've experienced the therapy, you know, they feel like once he kicks them out, like they're fucking like, you know, like I I gotta have my fix. Like I need my therapy. So it's yeah. like, what what exactly are you doing to these people that like, how, how are you going to turn them into like productive people in society? Yeah. And you sort of get this, these moments where Nola actually seems to be at peace. And it's right after the children, the so-called children have like gone out and, you know, enacted her like enacted vengeance on her part basically and it's it comes at you know whether she's right or wrong about what she thinks and this kind of goes back to what you mentioned Heidelberg that you know they don't like you know Cronenberg doesn't create like a romance between the father and the teacher Mm -hmm. you know it's he's focused on candy and that it's just that's mainly what he's about and I agree with that but I would also say it's like to to create a situation where Nola is suspicious or she accuses yeah. the husband of having this affair, even though that's completely wrong. Well, because she know calls that. the house and the teacher picks up. Right. And so we yeah. know that, but she doesn't know that. Yeah. But in terms of her rage, it doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. if she believes it, then it gets carried out. And they out. act on it. Yeah. Exactly. Which and is so interesting. Like, whether right or wrong, that's, and isn't that kind of how rage works? Like you feel yeah. what you feel and you, you let it out. Um, and you feel you always take it through it's until later, right? Exactly. And like, I mean, I would say most of the time, maybe rage is like not necessarily uh, placed in the right, you know, at the right, like the feet of the right recipient or whatever. But, you know, yeah, and that's why it's like a lot of people get into a blinding rage where like they're not even aware of what they're doing sometimes because mm-hmm. they're so filled with rage and blinded by it. So. Well, and it's ultimately destructive, right? Like yeah. rage is very rarely productive. Yeah. And so that's why this therapy is not working. She has moments of peace once the children go out and do her bidding. And there was a moment where she woke up from a, you know, from a dream and she was like, oh, you know, I had the strangest dream. And Ragwan says, was, um, what's that teacher's name? Was she in it? And she's like, oh no, I don't, I don't even think about her at all. I, you know, I was yeah, upset, but, but now I just don't even, it, it doesn't bother me. I think it was me. Ruth. Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ruth. She's like, well, I just, somehow it just doesn't really, it's not on my mind anymore. Yeah, I don't Cause you killed her. Ass. <laughs> yeah. But she doesn't know that it's just like unconsciously like expending that rage has like given her a momentary peace. But of course it's not actually healing her. It's not solving her problem. And it's not like the, her minions come back to her or report to her, like when they're done with their task, you know, they, they expire. They only have a certain amount of life in them. Mm-hmm. They don't even have like a conventional heart. It seemed like it was just like a little gas tank almost of like energy. <laughs> yeah. That sounded yeah, like from the uh, autopsy. I really like that autopsy scene, by the way, too. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. How yeah. they explained how they worked and everything. 
Yeah, I thought it was cool. It kind of revealed what what their inner workings without making it seem cheesy or like showing you too much. It was just enough where you're like, these things are odd. They're just off. They're like underdeveloped children in a, in a sense. You know what I mean? They're not. They've they've grown up really fast, but also they're underdeveloped, and they they work on the most basic of like emotions. You know. Well, if you think about it, the way the coroner describes them. It's all ways that you would describe the emotion of rage. He says they can't see in color. They can only see in black and white. Their tongues are too thick for speech. So they're not able to like talk it out. They can't like communicate. It's just like rage. They don't have any teeth, but you can still get a nasty bite. Yeah, they have like a beak. Yeah. And then they they run out of gas once they've kind of like, you know. Yeah, that is an interesting metaphor for just rage in general. And how it manifests and how you kind of expel it as a person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's super interesting, actually. I think these little creatures are, like, really cool, to be honest. I think Mm -hmm. they make the film. um, I know that um, the first couple, I believe, were little people. And then there was, like, one. There was, like, one main actor who was a little person who played them. And then they had to go to, like, younger gymnasts or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, young girls. For the end scene mm-hmm. with Praglin. And I do think that end scene, it hits a little bit for me too. Cause I was like, I'm watching it and it's sort of unsettling because I'm watching like, these are children. Yeah. They're deformed, like, like evil versions of children, but like he's shooting them like point blank and like blowing up. Like there's a moment where one of them gets their chest blown out on the top bunk. And like, I'm like, damn, like when you look at it real fast, it's just a fucking child, like in a snowsuit, like, or like a gym suit or whatever, like, tracksuit just getting blown away and i'm just i i don't know but yeah, <laughs> i also think of, like the logistics awesome. of it all like praglin had to fucking supply clothes to all these fucking things right like they, they weren't yeah, born with snowsuits and all these matching <laughs> they fucking, weren't born with snowsuits yeah, they weren't all born with matching hoodies and fucking sweatpants right so like all right praglin i think you maybe you are the villain you because you're fucking giving these people their outfits <laughs> He's I wanted to thing. I was like, where are they getting the clothes from? Yeah, I thought about that too, but I'm like, it kind of ruins the film if I fucking mention it. But yeah, it does kind of like I gotta dispend disbelief during that moment. I'm like, where are they getting these things from? Yeah, maybe they're just all like trooping into TJ Maxx. I also thought and, about like, moments where like, all right, Nola gets upset with her mom, right? Mom lives like 30 miles away. So for 30 miles, one of these things is just walking in its snowsuit. How does it know where to go? And it just ends up back at mom's house. Well, they're like products of her subconscious. They are. So like, because so you they're, see them walking still, down the road with, with Candace, right? There's that scene of them walking down the road in their snowsuits and the car goes by. Mm-hmm. And they're they just... Hitchhike, they're, they hitchhike with Michael Myers when he's on his way to heaven. Yeah, totally. <laughs> they're like, yeah, baby. Groovy. Oh, no, just <laughs> wrong Michael Myers, my bad. <laughs> it is around the same time. It is. So um, um, what were we going to say, Jacqueline? I was going to say, what do you guys think of the birthing scene? I love it. I think it's so unsettling. And I mean, it's 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 like beautiful, but unsettling at the same time, which childbirth can be right. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, it's a beautiful thing when you're thinking about it as a whole. But, you know, in the act, it can be a violent thing. It can be gruesome. Um I do know that the licking of the fetus was the actress's idea. Yeah, which is which is super awesome. Genius. Um, the fact that she came up with that idea, not Cronenberg, just surprised the shit out of me. Because she mm-hmm. was like, I'm a man animal lover and I have several animals. 
And like, we always birth puppies and like the, this is what animals do. It's so animalistic. I kind of love the fact that she does that. Mm-hmm. Miles, your thoughts? It, it, it made me gag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. Miles, is this why you don't like pregnancy? Like, is this movie? Oh, shit, I forgot about, about that. Pregnancy? Miles has yeah, a pregnancy phobia. I do. Yeah. And I, I I don't know if there's a medical term for it. I've never been diagnosed with anything, but anything surrounding <laughs> pregnancy, childbirth, it makes me physically ill. Just I would call it like natophobia. You have natophobia. That. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, um, it's interesting is what I really mean. It's like, how right. often do you meet somebody yeah. who has like an, you know, a phobia like that, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know where it came from, but uh, yeah, I've always had that. It's even talking about like the process of childbirth makes me like physically ill. And oh, so, yeah, I could watching... horrify you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I could and, decimate and, you. <laughs> <laughs> and this, uh, yeah, the scene was uh, especially gross, especially when she's licking the blood and she's, oh. she's still got on her mouth and everything i was like oh my she God. said when they did the dailies each day like for that scene like the all the guys doing editing and stuff they were all men so they were all super grossed oh. out by the scene i love how you meanwhile i'm cool. like eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah seen it been there done that um i mean i, I didn't like, like eat my just, i like how natural it looks to her <laughs> like how naturally she plays it you know what i mean like, yeah. it's not like she's going out of her way to gross you out as the, the audience member. Like, this is a natural thing for her. And I, mean, I just kind of like how it plays out, you know, and yeah. it speaks on motherhood and sort of, I don't know, the animalistic nature of it, like birthing by yourself and in, in the wild or like, I don't know. It's Yeah, it's you're running on instinct. Yeah, of just licking the fetus and how many people eat the placenta, you know, I mean, it's like that's that seems archaic to some people, but it's, you know, high in protein and it's really good for the baby. Yeah. So like, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> but I agree with you. I think, I think the way she played it was so good because it seems natural. It, it did seem like animalistic. She wasn't hamming it up and like making crazy faces and like, you no, know, she wasn't like licking it in a lascivious way or anything <laughs> like that. It was just like very sort of quiet and natural, but I love her reaction to his reaction. He's trying so hard to play it cool. Oh, yeah, because he was told like, to. Yeah, she's like, you find me disgusting. He's like, no, not at all. Yeah, no way. Can cool. I get a lick? Yeah. Can I get some yeah. too? I'll totally. That's what he should have done. I'll take, give me some of that. Oh. Yeah, meanwhile, he is shitting bricks watching his wife. <laughs> yeah, because that was the moment where he was just like in recoil. Like, I hope Praglin's got my daughter already because I'm done. Right. Here. <laughs> like, I can't do this I anymore. I can't hang on anymore. But she's so like, especially because she's in this like instinctual animal mode, like when you're caring for your young, like you are on hyper alert to yeah. your surroundings and like your focus is very like singular. And but she's, she's also able... seeing like what the brood is like. She's experiencing what they're feeling, too. Like, I feel like she's in touch with them at that moment. Yeah, I agree with that. But my point is that, like, even though he's trying to mask his disgust at what he's just seen her do, she still picks up on, like, the subtlety of re of his reaction. He doesn't, he's not like, Ugh! you know, he just makes a little facial expression, but tries to kind of cover it up. And she's like, you find me disgusting. And I think that's such a great moment in her acting performance, because she really portrays this, like, duality. Like, she, I think she's a very lovely woman. And she can have this air of being very kind of like light and feminine and yeah. attractive. Very attractive. 
Oh, I think and she perfect. reveals herself and it's like hideous, right? You're like, oh my fucking yeah. God. But even more than the than the physicality of her is the 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 quickness with which she can turn on a dime and go yeah. from very light and feminine to like very frightening. Like the moment where she kind of stops licking the baby and goes, you find me disgusting. And her eyes get real wide. Yeah. I started to get scared. I'm like, oh shit. Like she's going to get mad and you know, what's going to happen. Even though I've seen this a bunch of times. I mean, like, and that's when the brood starts waking up, like getting more. Exactly. It's so crazy that there's that like psychic link. It's not even a psychic link because they're not connected by their psyches. Like they are part of her. It's almost like she's not birthing. She's budding. But I feel like like she knows at that point, she's like, now she's figured out like why Frank's there. Like you're, oh, you're here for Candace. Like, yes. Yeah. You're not here for me. Exactly. Exactly. But that realization and then like the way you see her as a character transform from like, she wants to believe him. She's kind of buying his bullshit. Like she's, she's hesitant, but she still wants to believe, you know, but then she detects his revulsion and just, like turns on a dime and it's just like her character changes it's really it's, good acting in my opinion oh so good it's really good um so good and then she becomes she becomes like enraged with uh candace also in a way like she's upset well, because of frank you know like frank's he, he, the way he no longer really like cares for her she realizes like oh you're here for candace and then like she's kind of upset or maybe i don't know i don't want to say jealous but she's definitely like feels a certain way because that's well, she what says that I'd rather I'd rather Candy were dead than you. Yeah, take that's what her. it is, right? So that's yeah. what she says, and then the brood instantly just starts going after her, like maliciously, just trying to destroy her. And that scene of her like hiding behind the door, and they're like tearing apart the door, like getting through it, like um, like Jack from fucking the tent. Yeah. yeah, I think that scene is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it. And I mentioned it earlier, but yeah, she looks like she's legitimately terrified, like. <laughs> Yeah, like they actually scared the little girl. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a scary scene. Hydroberg, was there anything in that documentary about the little girl actress and whether she were? I mean, I'm sure she was shielded and protected from you know real terror on the set. I would hope at least. I mean, so there were moments like where, like during the school session with the with the teacher. Um, so there's a there's a small part of outside of the documentary. There's a moment where they're sitting in a movie theater, um, and canada and uh the actor who played frank and her are like reuniting and they're talking about the film and she you know she's a lot older now um she did a little bit of acting and then she kind of got older to her teenage years and stopped acting and kind of never went back to it but um yeah she talked about like how she was kind of calming down a lot of the child actors during the teacher scene because some of the kids that were there were like kind of upset with what went on even though it was she was trying to explain to them like it's a movie and it's fake even though she was young herself she was only like six or eight years old i think she was like eight years old i think so too yeah but um i can imagine like some of this had to have stuck with her she said it was you know it was definitely tough as a child but like everybody was very nice to her and um they you know like pregnant like um what's his name oliver reed Mm-hmm. was really was really really nice and i know that like uh they talk in the documentary about he had he had a problem with alcoholism um but they said on set he was like a constant professional like all the time uh but he got in some hijinks he got like arrested uh yeah when he was like 
like first on the on the scene before the movie got made or like right around when the movie's starting to get made he like someone bet him that he couldn't walk back from the bar drunk or like nude or something like that and he did it he got arrested but he won the bet it was he was always getting into some hijinks apparently oh that oliver yeah <laughs> so um, drunk people where there has <laughs> was, I, I think i wrote this down in my notes i put i don't think there is a scene where either one of these the grandparents are sober no, no. these are some lush so grandparents to go yeah. into the the big to go back to the grandparents because we didn't really touch on like their deaths as much so like there's that therapy session with nola where she talks about her mother and and how she feels about her mother and that's when we first see the the brood go after her right um he like breaks into this little box. I'm assuming it's Canada. Uh, since it's Canada, that was like the box where the milkman delivered or the OJ like was delivered through the house and the house had a separate box, but it had like a nice padding lock on there. And like this little fucker broke it off. They're very powerful. That's where you see the first like sign of like how powerful these little things are. Um, and there was like a gallon of milk in there. And I was surprised because I was like, I thought Canadians drink milk in bags, but maybe that was just like a You never heard of that, Jacqueline? Nope, yeah, Canadians use they, they they drink milk in these bags and then they cut the bag open, pour it into like a pitcher. Um, huh. it's a practice. Do they buy it at the store in a bag? I believe so. Uh, but maybe like it's a, a practice bag, that only like... it might be a practice that only recently came into effect. Maybe to save like to for to make less plastic or something like that. I don't know. Hmm. Well, we're um, gonna have to ask Brandon about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's a thing. Um, so I was like curious about that, but. I like when the little thing gets in the kitchen and like just tears the fucking kitchen apart. <laughs> it's like, like a bad. I don't know. Puppy. Like, are you trying to be sneaky? Like, what are you doing? So then he's hiding up in the uh, in the fucking on, on top of the fridge. And I like when grandma walks in there. It sounds to me like there's a like a wild animal in your kitchen. And she just kind of strolls in, I guess, because she's drunk. Like, oh, like hey, no reaction. She looks around and then just gets like pummeled to death with a meat tenderizer. Like, uh, and I, I do take precedent with. Um, I have an issue with Candace because young Candace is in like the next room and she's not aware at all that her grandmother's being fucking bludgeoned to death. Like that's a lot of noise. I think she's probably a hiding. Lot of blood, I guess like, she's yeah, probably I think, scared. Yeah, I guess. Cause then she the went, broods, she went, like, and went to bed, right? Well, yeah. After the brood yeah. was hiding behind the <clears throat> banister, right? Like, mm. and then we find out that the brood stays in the house the entire time. Which I thought I was think it's just the one little child. Same so it's one, not yeah. like a group. It's just one. Oh, yeah. Well, I call yeah. it the brood. Just yeah, because they oh, all, okay. And the, and yeah, the, the, the cops did not find it. Yeah, the brute. I should say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Miles, like you said, I think the uh, like the police psychiatrist or whatever says something like, you know, going into like a deep, like an abnormal deep. <laughs> yeah, that's what she did. Could be like a trauma problem. response. Like you're just shutting down. Like nope, can't deal and with like that. Like you did several times during this film, she's faced with this like trauma where eventually mm -hmm. you know it manifests physically later. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do like the scene of like when the grandfather comes back to the house, and I thought it was even though he might be a son of a bitch, I thought it was touching when he like leans down and rubs like the tape of like where his wife's body used to be, and I just thought that I don't know like something about that scene just kind of stuck with me. It was like that's fucked up. Like you're, you haven't had a chance to really like deal with it yet. And like the, the tape's still there in the crime scene. And like, I don't know, you just looking down, like this is where my wife used to be or like, I don't know. It was just, I thought it was interesting. And then he goes upstairs and he gets like pummeled to death by like a snow globe or some snow kind globe, of knickknack. Yeah. Well, in a movie yeah, that's and, so and much it was still in the house. Oh, 
Sorry. Yeah, it was oh, in the ahead, house Mars. the whole time. The police said that, that they weren't looking for something this small. It's the size I mean, of a child. I, it's like still a you know human. You would think thing. you would look under the bed. I mean, for right. A, yeah, yeah. It's the same maybe it's department from uh, Black they're, Christmas. They're drinking all that bag milk. Who knows? We were looking for somebody at least five feet tall. We couldn't see anything smaller. We found know. him, two, but we just he just didn't fit thing. the description of the killer, so we left him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't find Billy either. Yeah. We thought he was a Christmas ornament, so we just didn't fuck with him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you, but so in a movie that's so much about like feminine expectations and what happens when those get subverted, I agree with you, Hydraberg. It's kind of touching the character of the grandpa that he is so expressive in his emotion, which kind of goes against like masculine expectations, especially still, you know, lingering in the 70s, even. Yeah. Um, but like he's been divorced from this woman for i don't know how long like they're not together anymore but he's clearly got a drinking problem and he calls his son-in-law and is like i'm depressed as hell like i, I why this was a mistake coming to this house and i didn't think it would hit me but i'm just depressed as hell and then you know you see him kind of like wandering around the house you can kind of see him reliving memories and then like you yeah. said he tenderly touches the spot where she was and like that that is touching yeah, I just thought, it, I don't know, it was just like a small moment, but I just, I remember like, oh, this is kind of, I don't know, pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I think Cronenberg's really good at, I don't know, he's just really good at making us feel something. And it, it, we watch these films in a genre of, of, you know, you're supposed to get scared or frightened. And it, like, how often do we really get that anymore as adults? You know, uh, I, I've been on edge once in a while with the film, but there's certain films once in a while that just make you feel uncomfortable. And I feel mm -hmm. like this film is pretty good at that. Um, there's just an unsettling nature to it. Uh, like you said, the reveal with Nola, the creepy brood themselves, like even though the makeup's a little dated, like it, they still look pretty fucking cool, I think. And just the idea of these like creepy children or like creepy children-like monstrosities that are like sh as strong as a grown-ass man or stronger, it's, 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 I don't know, it's just an interesting premise to me. And yeah. I think it works really, really, really well for the film. Mm -hmm. one one thing that was a negative for me and it wasn't a big negative but some of the kill scenes didn't look that believable when they're yeah like when they're getting hit with blunt objects and things some shots i, th I thought it would have been more effective if you saw less of it because when you got their little hands they're it'll say they're tapping them and it's just yeah they do and there's blood everywhere I yeah, thought that it's looked like this bright hokey. red blood too it's like it's yeah, like yeah, jello yeah. blood I'm with you. Yeah, I almost think it would have benefited it if it uh, if they showed less of that, because then you would, you know, you would have had to make up the violence in your head. I think mm. the grandmother's kill isn't bad, but like the teacher's kill, the teacher's kill is both corny but also like effective to me. Like mm. I said, because they're using like toy mallets. Like what what is yeah. in that classroom that you could really kill somebody with? But I guess because of their sheer force, and there's two of them. Uh, I do think it's ballsy as fuck that they just kill her right in front of everybody. Like. They don't oh care. yeah that was yeah. very shocking i thought that was like oh they're not even gonna wait till she goes into like the supply closet or nothing or something like that like like chucky would do you know what i mean like they literally just destroy her in front of everybody and the kids are just like oh my god oh my god i felt bad for those kids i do have a side tangent i wanted to touch on um just like just imagine if this procedure were like something that was actually you know in our like real in our in our world right now like something of this nature where you could purge your your grief or like traumas like would you take that risk um 
And like, what other horrible manifestations do you think people like Nola could produce? You know, like, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's an interesting topic. Like for me, like I have some grief in my life. I think I'd want to keep the grief and not just expel it. Um, I, as painful as that can be sometimes, I think that like the grief for me is like what it's like a memory that keeps that person that you're grieving. That's why you feel something for a person that you lost because of, you know, the, the, how you feel inside. So if you got rid of that, you know, you wouldn't have the memories when kick, they wouldn't hit the same. And like, yeah, okay. Maybe you'd feel a little bit better, but you also forget about that person probably. So um, I don't know about like childhood traumas. Cause I don't, I haven't experienced those necessarily, but I'm just, curious like if there was a, a procedure like this i wonder if people would be willing to get it and like what other manifestations might come out of it based on strong emotions like rage or jealousy or guilt or something like that you know uh yeah. those are interesting questions and i think some of that about like you know eliminating bad memories or bad feelings i think that question is explored a lot in shows like homecoming and Severance. Have you guys watched either of those shows? I've watched Severance. Uh, Homecoming, I, I, yeah, I'm interested in. Also, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. There's just right. a, where he just gets rid of bad memories because of a bad relationship, but mm-hmm. ultimately regrets it. Yeah, most of those stories, most of those like, you know, movie or show stories seem to tend to come to the conclusion that that's bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you ultimately you think it sounds like a good idea, but you regret it in the end. Mm. Yeah. Miles, what, what do you think? Um, yeah, no, I, um, I agree. I, uh, if there, this therapy, first of all, I don't want to see what comes out of me. If I expel my childhood trauma, (laughs) it's going to be a lot worse than the brood. (laughs) Um, but, um, yeah, I, um, and again, it didn't look like there was anything positive coming from the therapy. I don't think we saw one successful case in that, um, which, you know, might speak to uh, not expelling your, or not dealing with your trauma by turning it into something else. Because I guess the, like the brood itself is a metaphor for like a cycle of abuse. Because, uh, you know, if it wasn't, if it wasn't the brood who scratched and bit Candace, it would have been the mom who was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just there was a third party involved, kind of a middleman for all of her, uh, all of her trauma she was or abuse she was transferring onto her child. Yeah. Well, so that brings up a, I think another interesting question is like, to what extent, if any, is Nola responsible for the murders and the beating of Candy? I don't know because. Sub- consciously like consciously she doesn't seem to be aware of it until the until the end the end when she's finally in the end it feels like she's kind of aware more um once she's in face to face with like frank and i don't know like she's but i don't think she's ultimately aware she's it's weird uh i feel like she's aware of like how good she feels after she's like expelled one of these things and it's Mm -hmm. gone out and done her bidding and like, Oh, my mom's dead, but she doesn't know. But in her, in herself, like she feels at ease all of a sudden. And that's part of the therapy, right? Like she got rid of it. I don't think Praglin counted on the fact that these things were going to go out and kill people. You know, his, his idea was that they were going to come to the surface of their skin and 
form something that could be like, you know, legion, uh, like cut off or, or mm-hmm. just going away like a rash. But um, yeah, I think he's definitely, I don't know. It's weird. I, I definitely don't think she's like a total villain either. Um, I feel like she's painted a little bit towards the end where she's just sort of, I don't know. She's like totally loose uh, at the end where, I don't know. She's just sort of enraged. He's aware of what's going on a little bit more now. Yeah, I definitely think by the end she is. I think at that point she's fully aware of the control she has over those things. I also think she's still a victim. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think she she didn't plan to fucking create these things and take take out her rage on people. Like, there's a reason she's filled with this rage. And if we if we revert back to childhood, Nola, like she's uh you know innocent like someone inflicted this uh, pain on her and this pain has manifested through this therapy um but we're also led to believe that there's not necessarily a supernatural vibe to it i don't know but there's something to nola like you said miles like where she was manifesting something physically before this therapy ever was a thing so i'm maybe there's just people out there that like their traumas like been so severe that they're um I mean, they manifest things physically and I'm sure there's actual documentation on in real life on stuff like that as well, because our brain is very powerful and it can manifest things uh, without our, our consent sometimes, you know, and it's like people with a lot of stress developing ulcers. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah, it's just a thing in life. It's something stressing you out, but your mind is turning mm-hmm. it into something else. Yeah. Or shingles or eczema or, yeah, shingles, yeah. you know, whatever, any, like any number of things. Uh, so how do you guys like the ending ultimately? Like the last 10 minutes, I think is what makes this film for me. I yeah, like it. How, how so? I mean, I like the film overall, but like we touched on, there is, there are a couple like little convoluted moments. Um, not horribly. I just think that we don't delve into Praglin's practice so much where we really understand it. We don't really get to see Frank's marriage early on. So we don't really know what that was like. We we don't it, Candace doesn't speak a lot, so we don't really spend a lot of time with that character. You know, she's there. She's she's a plot point, but um, we don't really you know relate to her as much. Besides the fact that she's an innocent child, um, we don't see Nola's upbringing, but you know we're told that she was abused, and we see her parents have a drinking problem. So, uh, but the last ten minutes uh, where we get to see the interaction between Frank and Nola. And Praglin trying to get the kid. Um, I think those that's powerful. And then just like like the birthing scene, I think is amazing. Um, just from a body horror like aspect, I think it's it's stuck with me since I've seen it, and it's going to continue to stick with me. And it's just one small scene. Uh, I think the the dialogue also and the acting is just phenomenal in that moment too. And then I just think like ending it on like you could have ended it there and it would have been creepy, but just ending it on the fact that we get to zoom in. Frank's taking Candace home, you know, and he's gonna, he's gonna raise her as best as he can. He seems like a very caring dad, but we get to see that, like, you know, like, like we said, the trauma is cyclical. It's, it, 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 it's it, generation from generation, uh, it's passed down and she is a lot like her mother. And we get to see the fact that like, she's, you know, she's got some kind of physical deformities growing also on her and we mm-hmm. see the tears in her eyes and she's, she's, like comatose like uh in a sense like she's not speaking um when when frank grabs her from the 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 that room 
um, you know, she's fucking her clothes have been ripped apart a little bit from the brew trying to get at her and she's fucking traumatized. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an interesting way to end the film. I like I like that ending. You know, it's ambiguous, but also like they kind of tell you what's going to happen possibly, but it's ambiguous too. like we can we can kind of infer from that, like, oh, I wonder if she becomes like her mother or like I don't think she'll grow up like her mother because I don't expect Frank to ever abuse her. But how will he deal with her situation and will she hide it like we don't know? Right. Well, and so, you know, there's not like a nice, neat wrapping no. up with a bow, but I'm glad think... it isn't actually. Sorry. So I'm actually kind of glad that there is no like night niece, uh, nice, like neat wrapped up ending. Yeah, because I think artificially it kind of looks like it does like, oh, the dad rescued her and she's safe. And it's kind of like a little happy moment, him driving away with her. Yeah. But then the reality kind of sinks in that like she has just lost both of her grandparents and her mother um, and been attacked by this gang of like creepy things. Um and like that alone, I think, is enough trauma to like haunt her later in life. Um, and I think that this the the final shot of zooming in on her arm and seeing those small growths there, which had already been alluded to with the mother, I think that really just kind of like um, puts the final point on what this movie is about. Yeah. You know, which we've already you know highlighted repeatedly. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's more realistic to think like this is going to have some effects on her. Like she's not really escaping from this unscathed. And so this is just like her, her entree, her, her entry point into the cycle, you know, you know, I can almost kind of see some blue point, blue points, blueprints for hereditary in this movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's some definite, there's some, yeah. Similar threads of just like, generational um issues being passed down or like not being dealt with properly and uh yeah then like later generations having to deal with them yeah the, and the mother the the yeah the matriarchal um like themes of, of lineage yeah. yeah so i think that's that's i think it's a perfect ending actually like i don't think it would be I don't think it would feel right to have it just like wrapped up in a nice neat bow and then candy's just fine. I think the whole point is that she's been traumatized and this is going to continue. Like maybe she wasn't beaten by her parents and maybe her parents aren't alcoholics, but they've passed down some other shit anyway. She's had this fucked up experience and there we go. It's, you know, on to the next. It's interesting. Uh, And um, I don't know if they ever make uh, the brew Two electric boogaloo (laughs) directed by Rob Zombie. Oh, they're working on the recall right now. Oh, got we it. got it. <laughs> I kind of forgot about that. Actually, I'm glad you got that. Yeah, without John here, like I almost forgot. Like I'm supposed yeah. to be like in competition with John, like trying to get that in there. So yeah. Uh, well, guys, I think we've we've hit a lot of major stuff here. Any other points you want to make, or is it time to give our reviews? Children are creepy. Uh, yes. <laughs> Let me see. I got Pregnancy is weird, here. and children are creepy. That's the takeaway here. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Well, we know uh, how you feel about pregnancy. Yep. <laughs> um, I did write this in my notes. Um, Oliver Reed, D- uh, Dr. Raglan in the end of the movie, uh, just some of his mannerisms were unintentionally funny to me when he, uh, the way he casually says, he goes, Frank, I have a gun. <laughs> he doesn't say it in a threatening way. He, says, I, he says, I have a gun and <laughs> he just shows it to him. 
Um, and then I think right after that, Frank says uh, that he doesn't trust him. And Aubrey gives this little, like a little kid shrug. He just shrugs his shoulders like, eh, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> it, Frank, I, I have a gun. Expressions for yeah. <laughs> Franklin's <laughs> got a gun. <laughs> Brute is on the run. Oh, what did little Nola do? <laughs> well, the musical stylings of Hyderberg, entertaining wow, as impressive. always. The uh, a cut above Hyderberg does the Brood album. I do reach arounds. I do bar mitzvahs. I do. <laughs> I do it all, guys. <laughs> all right. Well, um, Hyderberg. Since this movie was your pick, how about you give your review first? Sure, I will give you my review of the Brood. Uh, some pros. Fantastic atmosphere. I just think there's a great sense of dread in this film that builds up over time. Uh, we, I didn't touch on it. It's in my notes, but I, I really like the fucking score. Um, I didn't mean to curse. I don't know why that came out, but I really like the it. fucking score. I love that fucking score. <laughs> God damn I really it. Love the score. There's like these like <laughs> strings that play in the very beginning. They're very psycho-esque. And I like really. Yeah, I really like them. Um, I love strings. Like I like a synth. Uh, vibe too in some films but like some films that do like really good string work like I just love that in horror films and I thought that this is it plays throughout the film but it never overpowers a scene but it's there um, the film the, the scenes of like violence are like like actuating uh, they're like uh, they have like uh, moments where like the, the music just rises real quick and I just like I really like it um, I think there's some really good acting. Um, I think overall, like everybody kind of nails the acting. Um, some of it's like just smaller parts, like, you know, grandpa and grandma. But um, I think Samantha Egger, like as Nola, like she's a standout for me. I know she's not in it a ton, but I think without her, like this film would not be what it is. Um, I think uh, I forgot the actor who plays Frank. Art Hindel. Uh, yeah, Art Hindle. I thought he was great, too. I really I really got a vibe like he cared about his on-screen daughter in this film. You know what I mean? Like there was some chemistry there. And I just felt like he didn't seem like a guy who was like, you know, fuck my ex-wife. You know, like he cared enough. Like he was willing to go to lengths of visit, like bringing his daughter to visit her at this weird compound. And he wasn't comfortable necessarily with it. And uh, but I, I felt for him. I thought he was sympathetic and I'm glad that they didn't play him off as this like, cause you could play this like divorced dad as like a certain way. A lot of movies do. And I just like that this movie didn't kind of do that. Like he's not necessarily like the hero, but you know, cause he just, he cares about his fucking daughter and, and her well being, And I respect that a lot. And I do like that. Like they don't make Samantha necessarily. I mean, um, Nola, like, like this mustache twirling villain. I don't think they make Praglin a villain like necessarily hundred percent either. Like he does start certain things that lead towards the ending that we get. Um, he could have taken steps. He could have ended this procedure earlier on. Um, I think his hubris got the better of him. And, you know, he was like, Oh my God, my, 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 my theory works in a certain way. Like, look where it's gone. But like, you're kind of like Dr. Frankenstein in a sense, like you've allowed this to happen. And you've allowed these, like, once you started making little people, maybe that's when you should have, like, put the kibosh on it. Instead of just putting them in pajamas and putting them in a fucking, like, a, a sleepaway camp, like, area, like, with bunk beds. <laughs> yeah, that's a little weird. Um, I do love just, I like the idea of this film, though. Like, I think there's, it's just creepy. 
these little kids. And that's what we're here for this month, right? It's like creepy children. I think this film just nails that. And um, since we've had this discussion too, I do feel like there are a lot of themes that thematically you can, you can pull from um, that speak on motherhood and like, I don't know, sort of like an animalistic nature to uh, human beings also and trauma and how it's cyclical, you know, in a family um, setting, how it can be passed down. And I think that's interesting. And I think that's, um, I don't think it ever throws any too, too many themes in your face either. It's like they're there, but overall, like this is just an, an enjoyable film also on the surface level. And I dig that. Um, I have some cons. I think the plot does get a little like convoluted in the middle or like muddled maybe is like a better word. Um, there's just a couple moments like we mentioned with like uh, Praglin's like practice, like, that could have been explained a little bit better. Like how exactly is he getting this to happen? Uh, we never see any kind of like compound, like drug that he's using or like procedure or machine that he's putting people in, or like, he's just speaking to people. Like you said, Jacqueline, that these are therapy sessions. These are means of therapy that have already been developed before this. Um, so why wouldn't that have happened earlier in other sessions with normal therapy? It sounds like he's just having normal therapy sessions almost like, what is he doing to elicit this effect? out of these people. Um, I think that could have been developed better. Uh, I think we could have seen a little bit more of his sessions too. Um, just to give us a better sense of his technique. Like we do get to see him and Nola a little bit together, but I would have liked to see a little bit more with them. It would have been interesting to see Nola cause we don't get a ton of Nola. Um, and I would have liked to see her talk more about her, like her trauma. And then I could have maybe seen like, grandma and grandpa as more of, of like villains too, because I understand they've done bad things, but what, what exactly did they do? You know what I mean? Like they drink, we, we understand that, but like there's, it's never really explicitly told like our mom and dad did this to me all the time. Like there's, there's that one session about mom, but I felt like it could have been uh, delved into a little bit more. Um, I also I would have liked to see a little bit more of Frank and Nola's just like relationship, like a backstory into their relationship, maybe a moment of just their their marriage, maybe, um, you know, like a flashback, even that I know that's like tropey, but like a flashback of maybe just their um, day to day or like when they were happy. And then a moment where Nola started turning in the relationship where like her psychosis started showing Um to Frank, you know, where Frank, cause obviously I don't feel like he was aware of it the entire time. And then at some point it showed and did he push her towards this therapy? Uh, like who told her about this therapy? Where did she find out about it? You know what I mean? Um, I think that would have just helped like flesh out uh, Raglan's um, program also. Um, and I just kind of wish we got a little bit more of Candace. Like she's just very silent in the whole film. And I know she's a child, so I can understand not having her act out a ton. She does a great job in what she's in as a child actress. So I do like that. Uh, just, um, I don't know. There's just like parts of some of the acting that feel a little hollow just because we don't get like in-depth with any of the characters. It's kind of a slice of life. Like we're kind of thrown into like, all right, we're just given the facts like Frank's marriage fell apart and his wife's in this weird therapy, but I would have liked to see kind of how they got there just for me as a character building, um, like exercise. Other than that, like I, those are small complaints to be honest. Like I, I really enjoy this film. 
I think it's one of David Cronenberg's best films, to be honest. Um, I haven't seen all his work, but the stuff that I have seen that I, I really enjoy most of his work and the stuff I don't enjoy as much, I can still give credit to. Like the guy takes swings on almost every film. Almost every film has a different topic he tackles. They're similar, yes, because there's like body horror involved and stuff like that. But almost every every film has a different theme to it. And I kind of dig that about him. He never like retreads the same um, themes. So with that said, I'm going to give David Cronenberg's The Brood. I'm going to give it nine out of ten toy mallets to the head. <laughs> I'm going to bash this fucker. Oh, okay. Heidberg says nine out of ten toy mallets to the head. Gotcha. Miles, would you like to share your review? Yeah. Um, so I think when I first watched this, I rated it a four out of five on Letterboxd, which is, I guess is an eight out of ten. Um, I really liked it. Uh, this go around, um, my opinion of it uh, actually grew. So I, I think this is a great movie. Um, all of Cronenberg stuff is very original. Um, I think in horror, it's easy to repeat a lot of the same tropes, you know, ghost slasher, you know, alien, scary clown over and over again. <laughs> um, and it, his movies are always very original, very fresh. Um, there's a lot of very interesting ideas in here. Uh, I think this is my favorite Cronenberg movie that I've seen so far. Um, I just, I love the way the, um, that it's very rich thematically without beating you over the head with it. Uh, and it integrates in the story in a, you know, a very effective way in my opinion. So yeah, I, um, I don't really have a lot of negatives for this movie. Um, I think some of the things like Heidelberg said could have been explained a little bit better uh, the way, you know, the uh, psychoplasmics actually works. Um, although I don't really need it. Um, the, how are they going to, uh, uh, explain it with a some kind of medicine or a serum or something that doesn't really make any sense and it's not going to make any sense either way because you know obviously it's not real um so I don't, that would have been nice but i don't think it really takes away from the movie um some of the kill scenes uh looked a little cheesy they were brutal uh but some shots you know where they're hitting it, their little hands are swinging the mallet so it's got a little wacky sometimes <laughs> like they're like they're barely hitting her hitting the person just kind of giving them a little love taps and then there's blood just everywhere <laughs> um so that that was a, that's a negative for me but other than that um i really don't have much bad to say about the movie i think the acting's great everybody's giving good performances um but yeah i uh this time around uh when i rewatched it i rated it a four and a half out of five which i think translates to a nine out of ten uh so yeah i'm gonna give it nine out of ten um matching snow outfits <laughs> all right matching snow outfits all right nine out of ten from miles cool you guys are on the same page <clears throat> i like that you said none of the themes like beat you over the head that was a good pun <laughs> <laughs> with a mallet with a toy mallet mm -hmm. uh yeah so i i would agree this is i wouldn't say this is my favorite cronenberg because nothing for me um in his canon can outshine the fly which i think is just like an absolute masterpiece yeah he's firing um, on all cylinders during the fly yeah i a bunch of us actually i don't remember if you guys were kind of in on it or not but i was watching it with logan you know our friend logan and she had never seen it before and the whole time when we were text watching it and she had you know we were kind of text watching it in the in the slack chat 
but it was just her shouting in all caps all the way through. It was so conflicted in that film because it's a love story that changes. And then like the the main guy that you want to root for goes on this weird turn. And then it's also gross. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's like, it's really sad. It's like a shockingly sad sad movie. And I think this movie, The Brood, is really sad as well. And it kind of sneaks up on you how sad it is because you don't really expect that from a movie like this. But when it... I have to say, Heidelberg, I kind of disagree with you a little bit about we don't, you know, what you said about we don't really know what happened to her with her parents or whatever. I got a strong sense that the mother physically beat her. And uh, dad that, that didn't no, do that, anything about it. Right. That Nola's okay. mother physically beat her and that the dad just kind of did not take action. I didn't get the sense that he participated in the beating, but that he just pretended that it didn't happen and that it was weird because when they show mom later like grandma like she's not they don't she's not like a total piece of shit when she's taking care of her granddaughter but i think that's the thing is like and you know we've we've said repeatedly throughout this episode like nobody here is a pure villain and i think that's good um people it's real life people can do horrible things but still do good things and like People can be mostly good and normal. Spoil their granddaughter, you know what I mean? Exactly. I think that's actually more common than would one would imagine. A second chance for them because they know that they're a piece of shit to their own kid. So now it's like, oh, my grandkids here. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try and be like the best Mm -hmm. to them. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes that might even happen sort of unconsciously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like you can be a normal seeming person and do good things and treat most people well, but sometimes beat your kid. And like, that's, you know, very, I think very few times in life are there people who do do horrible things and like really evil things, but you look at them and go like, Oh, that person just, but just by looking at that person, I can tell that they're fucked up or evil. Like most people who do fucked up things seem like normal people. You're right. And so I think that's one of the things here is that like there are several characters who do fucked up things, but also there's a lot of time that they spend seeming normal and sort of harmless and human. You know, I've, I've kind of belabored the point that I think that Raglan does a lot of unethical shit, but you're right. He does sacrifice himself to try to save candy at the end. He's genuinely trying to do the right thing. So is he a complete piece of shit? No, uh, it's it's a mixed bag. It's more complicated than that. And I think the same is true of the grandmother. I think the same is true of Nola. <clears throat> so there's the grandfather. I mean, there's 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 a lot of that going on. Um, I, I've already talked about how much I adore Samantha Eggers' performance. I think, and especially for just having so little screen time. Uh, I mean, she runs such a gamut of emotions. And you know, I mentioned how sad this movie is. The the monologue, I think, based on her acting performance, I think that like her father's inaction while knowing that the mother was beating her has maybe even scarred her more than the beating itself. Like the monologue that she gives about, you know, when she they're doing that role playing scenario with Dr. Raglan, he's pretending to be her father. And she says, why didn't you protect me? Didn't you love me? Yeah. Like she doesn't ask that of her mother. She asks that about her father. And it's it's absolutely heart-wrenching. Like I it's it was hard for me to watch actually. Like this movie is is a tough watch for me. Like I don't I hate 
things relating to child abuse or child trauma. And so this is like a tough thing for me to sit through. But even so, I recognize that it's done very skillfully. Like Miles said, it doesn't beat you over the head. Like these themes are there and they're they're explored in this movie, but it doesn't beat you over the head with it. It's like they're for the taking, but it's not, um, you know, ridiculously obvious and uh, like annoying or you know obvious. It's, it's a natural extension of the of the what's the plot. It is. I think it's like it's There's artfully a, explored. A good reason for that too. When we get into trivia. Well, so I was kind of just about to say it because yeah. uh, I think I know what you're thinking. Um, one of the things that I, you know, I mentioned before is that th- this character of Nola could be seen as just like a monster. But I, I do agree with you, Hydraberg, that the film portrays her sympathetically, which in and of itself, I think, is remarkable because, as I think you were probably just thinking about, Cronenberg um, wrote this movie while he was in the midst of a divorce and a custody battle. And I think this was maybe sort of a cathartic thing for him to like kind of explore this dynamic of a dissolving family. Uh, and he has said that some of Nola's characteristics reflect some of his ex-wife's characteristics. And what so you I would... heard was that he had to, there was a moment where he had to, his daughter was abducted. Like he had to go to a compound where his wife was, where it was seen as cultish. Oh, no. Yeah, she was into some sort of like therapeutic cult like like compound. And he had to go there and get his daughter back. And that's where he got the idea. He had a nightmare also around it. And that was sort of like Mm. his inspiration for writing this film. Oh, see that I didn't know. Thanks for filling. That's what they said in the documentary. Okay, his wife actually like kind of taking his daughter away from him during this custody battle and then like taking her to this place that he just did not agree with her being. And it was this weird cult, like uh compound mm. they were saying, which had mm. had to do with some kind of therapeutic nature to it also, which is where he kind of probably came up with the Dr. Raglan character. Yeah. So that that's, I'm, I'm glad to know that. Thank you. Um, so then knowing that, I think that even makes it more remarkable that like, this is, I think primarily a film about, I think it's about, trauma and the cyclical nature of trauma but i think it's also about like female rage and the righteousness of female rage to some extent and how like when does this happen like what triggers her rage it's when she feels like she's being taken advantage of again whether this is accurate or not in her mind she's being taken advantage of her husband's there to try to take her child away from her no mother is gonna let that happen um but she is Well, I mean, she doesn't not, want. Not she's trying to. No, I'm just saying, like that's that is what he's there to do at that moment. Well, I know what I know. It's what yeah. he's there to do, but she's not going to. If she can prevent it at all, she yeah. will. Um, and also, I think there's a really important line at the beginning when you see that first like demonstration with Dr. Raglan and Mike when he says, you know, it's all about his like gender. Um, I don't want to say gender identity, but like his masculinity and yeah. how mm-hmm. how strong or not strong it is. And in this role-playing dynamic where Raglan is playing his father, Raglan as the father is implying that he is not masculine. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I, sh- I should say I have a daughter and like, yeah. you're my little girl. And why don't I treat you like that? Because you're weak. You're not a man. And um, what is the line? It's, um, oh, shoot. <clears throat> 
Hold on. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I did write some of it down because I was curious about how that would play nowadays. Yeah. So Raglan says weakness. You're weak. And so I'm going to call you a little girl because Mm -hmm. weakness is more acceptable in a girl. And I think there are moments where Nola is being treated as like a weak female and that triggers her rage. Um, And so I think it's actually like a sympathetic portrayal of her. Like, obviously, there are things going on with her that are not okay. But I, I do think that like the the fact that this film that Cronenberg wrote partially about his own ex-wife and this battle that they've had to even acknowledge the feelings of your opponent to like acknowledge yeah, he paint her as a total villain. He's, he's no, no, like to acknowledge the feelings of another, even somebody that you are in some kind of a battle with or disagree with about something and to acknowledge that their feelings could be legitimate like I think that's a, a compassionate tone to strike um, in, in a story like this and the, the person who's telling it. So I I think that's, I, I would not necessarily call this like a misogynistic film. I'm not sure I would call it a feminist one, but I, I think it's more, it's it's not just automatically, it's not so cut and dried as to call it a yeah, misogynistic well, what if film. It's a film that deals with both. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can have, you don't have to lean in, in one direction necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times people want to write an article about something and paint it a certain way that they see it or yeah and just make it like, black and white like yeah this or is if they, yeah, if they paint it in a negative light their article will get you know more clicks you know stuff like mm-hmm. that like, we see that a lot nowadays mm-hmm. and then well, and to not an every extent, story is cut and dry like that yeah well, and to an extent you could argue that Nola herself is being victimized by this doctor who's you know, administering this, you yeah, know, he's a man. unethical treatment, which again, kind of reflects maybe what Cronenberg's wife was experiencing. Like maybe she was kind of taken advantage of, taken in, fooled as part of this culty thing, whatever she was a part of. So, um, you know, to acknowledge that it's, you know, she's suffering at the hands of somebody else, I think is a compassionate tact to take. Um, less seriously, I think I agree with you, Hyderberg. The score is amazing. And um, Howard Shore, I think, scored most of, uh, I almost said Heidelberg's movies, Cronenberg's movies. And uh, this was his first Cronenberg film. And uh, Howard Shore, the composer, it was his first Cronenberg film. And I'm pretty sure this was just his first full-length film that he really? scored. And I love Howard Shore's scores. I think they're, like, very dramatic and operatic and things feel very, like, large scale yeah um you can hear some of the same kind of echoes in his score for the fly and i'm not somebody who sits around listening to film scores most of the time but i would sit around listening to howard shore scores i they're just really beautiful and i i feel like i can usually tell if it's a howard shore score sorry that's hard to say yeah um you're just thinking like that. oh that, sound, that sounds like a cronenberg movie you know it just sounds like a cronenberg movie and i think it contributes to that tone um the acting i think you know, for most of the actors, they're fine, like not really remarkable, with the exception, of course, of Samantha Egger. And I agree with you in Art Hindle. Like he comes across as like an everyman kind of like nice, normal dad who's doing the right thing, you know, and I feel mm-hmm. like he's easy to relate to and connect to. Um, oh, one thing I noticed when Frank goes back to the house where Nola and Candy used to live when they first separated and before she went to the weird treatment facility. He's kind of like looking around her house and um, there's a Virgin Mary on the wall, 
which I thought was kind of interesting because Nola is also having these like immaculate conceptions <clears throat> and like yeah. reading these. Yeah. That's interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because they are immaculate conceptions. Yeah. She's just like spawning children. Super so. And like she's living in like this weird like like attic. Yeah. It's yeah, it was like not a normal house. It was like yeah. a it seemed like a rented room, maybe in somebody else's house. I'm not yeah. sure. But um on the negative side, I I don't <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to hold this film responsible for how it holds up 30 years later in terms of effects, because it's like you do what you can with what you have at the time. And I don't love the way the children look now. I, I it, They look kind of silly to me, but I, I'm not going to really hold that against the film because like at the time, I'm sure it was really effective and you can't make a movie for 30 years down the road. Like you just can't. Um, you're making it for right now. My bigger complaint is something, Hyderberg, that you already talked about, which is the lack of, you know, understanding of what this treatment really is. And I feel like, I like you said, that could have been developed more. And I think it would have even made this film more Cronenbergian because I feel like so many of his movies are about this like melding of yeah. human flesh with technology or like human beings, uncomfortable relationships with both our bodies and with technology. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see it in the fly. We see it in a video drum. And I like to think in my imagination that psycho, what is it? Psychoplasmics is has some kind of futuristic sciency thing to it and like some kind of relationship with technology or or you know something heretofore un unexperienced and so i i kind of wanted like a long live the new flesh kind of situation here that mm. I, you know like in videodrome something that's like i thought at least maybe he was giving them like some mushroom tea or something like something to elicit this like to aid his therapy Mm. while he spoke to them or something yeah i just wanted to I, I guess i just wanted to see something more tied in with technology like some yeah. kind of waves radiating at On at, them. at yeah. his patients and that's why this guy has cancer i mean i mean at least that's yeah, kind of what's going on with video drum yeah and you know she okay. yeah she's birthing but you could also see these as like growths you could sort of like code them that way so um i think that that's kind of a the, the fact that we don't know exactly what this treatment is and you know we don't even need to know exactly but it's not even really hinted at it just looks like talk therapy with role-playing that's all it looks like um to to the audience i think and so I, I think that's a bit of a weakness but not huge so final score i'm gonna give this a nine out of ten toy mallets to the head whoa just yep. three nines unanimous it's unanimous nine. Nine. So like with it. this therapy, do you think like when Craglin's like having a little sexy time and he's having some dirty talk with like a lady friend and he's like talking to them, like does a sex demon just like kind of come out of them? Like he's like, yeah, baby, what's going on? You know, you know, you know, it's me, Praglin. <laughs> How you feeling? Today? Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, little sex demons pop out. Sex demons. I'm gonna have to remember that. Oh, that they should look, have been our. They our look like the demons from the gate. I never saw that I mean, one actually. What you never seen the gate? The gate? No. Oh, it's so stupid. It's so fun. <laughs> well, then why did you act shocked that I hadn't because seen it? As if I were missing. It's part out of my childhood as an '80s kid. So I've seen scenes from it. I've never actually seen it either. Really? I, I think the boys covered yeah. it. So three nine out of tens. Yep. 
That's that's impressive. Yeah. I was debating on whether my score was too high at first. And I was like, is that too high? But I really did enjoy this in the second watch. And I think it stands up. I think it stands the test of time being that it's from 1979. So, yeah, I think this Cronenberg guy, I think he's got, I think he's going places. He's got a a bright future ahead of him. He might make it. Yeah, bright future. He might make it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, I kind of going back to what I mentioned before about (laughs) hereditary and this kind of being a blueprint for it. I think one of the reasons that this movie works, which is the same I think as the reason or a primary reason why hereditary works is that before we even get into the horror of it, the movie does the work of establishing like a family and a drama and real yeah. human dynamics that You're are right. going on that we can recognize and relate to and care about. You know it's what I mean? A divorce, a mother in therapy because of, you know, tra- trauma from her childhood, mm-hmm. a kid who's dealing with like the whole thing. Um, which we have in hereditary too we have children that are involved and everything mm-hmm. yeah that's that was a good take actually comparing it to hereditary thanks and so i think it, it it's it almost starts off as like a little drama first and it takes the time to do that before like snapping into horror mode and so i appreciate that and so i think that's you know i think that works in a lot of cronenberg films it's like there's there's a like it's all about being human you know and like yeah what are we as human beings? That like, is the central we, focus. Yeah. Like, are we animals? And like, what are, what are we doing? And like, how are we different? That's why when animals? something horrific happens, happens to like our human body or our psyche, we can relate. To, like it, 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 it hits us so hard in a Cronenberg film because I feel like he sets up those, those aspects of like, yes, this is what a human, like this is what human bodies are like, or this is like his science is sort of pseudo real like uh, some of it is real some of it's made up but like it all fits enough where like you can see a world where this like uh what is it psychosomatics no what's it called again psychoplasmic psychoplasmic yeah we're like this could be a thing yeah so let me see if i can find that little factoid psychoplasmics is similar to gestalt therapy although nothing will grow on you have you guys heard of gestalt theory no I'm going to look it up I real quick. Now. Or therapy. Gestalt therapy. Does it, also, does it also involve roasting your patient in front of a room, in a room full of people? <laughs> All right. You're a dirty bird, Miles. Dirty bird. So gestalt never, therapy I, I is... I don't know much about therapy, but I, I feel like insulting your mentally unstable patient in front of an audience. Well, don't do it in front of an audience, at least. Right, exactly. Unethical choices. Mm. So Gestalt therapy is a form of psychotherapy that is centered on increasing a person's awareness, freedom, and self-direction. It's a form of therapy that focuses on the present moment rather than past experiences. Gestalt therapy is based on the idea that people are influenced by their present environment. I don't know. I feel like the therapy that Raglan is doing in the movie with his patients is very much focused on the past. So, yeah, like, are we slowly see bringing up the past, but letting our patients deal with it in the present? Or, like, is that what that's a, like? Because I don't know. I mean, the majority of the things that make us who we are, if, if we're dealing with like therapeutic things or like trauma, they're from the past. So, like, they're things that have already happened. How right. do you know that? Why, by only dealing, like, focusing on the present? I, it just sounds like that's a disconnect for me. Like, I don't I don't really see the similarity there. If you're a mental health professional and you're listening to this, please email us and let us know. Uh, t- tell us because we don't know. 
What is Gestalt therapy? Is this a real? It's a very is interesting this like this? topic. How does it work? It's a, <laughs> us, it's a touchy subject to mental health and just dealing with trauma. And but I do think it's ripe for like horror movies. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. There are so many. It 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 could become a it could come across as tropey, but also like how do you not want to write sometimes a film about someone who had some kind of abuse or something traumatic happen and turn them into something or or you know the trope nowadays is like their trauma has manifested into a entity. You know what I mean? We see that with movies like Smile or like Baba Duke. Yeah, um, some films do it handle it better than others, but I think Cronenberg's just really good at. The human aspect is what he focuses on. So when things get like zany, we're just like, whoa, like, <laughs> I don't know. He just has a really good way of just dealing with that in a, a weird, you know, when a dude sticks a VHS uh, tape into his stomach, I don't know. It's weird. It fucking works though. In that film, right? Like, yeah, his, his way of doing things just, you know, he has his own style. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, we kind of like, Almost all of my interesting trivia, we pretty much kind of yeah, already we touched on mine too. I'll, I'll, I'll mention throughout. The only thing I wanted to add was that, um, interestingly, Samantha Egger and Oliver Reed grew up together in the same area of London. They yeah. did. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, did you have any other facts that you learned from the documentary that? No, nah, just the fact that a, a lot of in the interviews, they spoke on Oliver Reed's like shenanigans or like his alcoholism, like not necessarily in like a total negative light, but like they did acknowledge the fact that like he suffered from this disease. Mm. And when he was on set and he showed up, like he showed up on time and he was a, con- a constant professional whenever he got there and mm. he, and he did his fucking lines and you wouldn't even know because he was a, a, you know, a functioning alcoholic. Yeah. And that unfortunately that's the, you know, that disease took him eventually. Um, oh, I didn't know. That's what they said. I, mm. I didn't do any extra research on, on him as an actor to to acknowledge that but from the interviews that's what they, everybody was saying of, of how he kind of passed um you know he led his life the way he wanted to I, I i did watch like there was an interview with him um from like 1980 and he did seem like a very interesting guy like just very charismatic um in this role he's a little subdued but he's very like he definitely commands the screen when he's on um i like his character in this like I don't know. There's just something about the way he delivers his lines, too. Mm-hmm. Miles, have you ever seen Oliver Reed in anything else? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, The Curse of the Werewolf. It's oh, okay. Uh, from the- yeah, he's been in some stuff, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, Hammer Horror. Um, it's it's a really good it's a really good werewolf movie. Um, really dark too. It's it's, re- it's really it's really bleak for the time period for a Hammer. I, movie. I am putting that on my list. Yeah, you're good. you're a big fan actually of the Hammer Horror. Well, not necessarily like like a total fan of like everything that they put, but you you like to to watch it all and then like yeah, it's aside from it's because I'm I'm 85 years old and I like old <laughs> stuff. Yeah, no, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. um, I, I think they're yeah, I love Hammer Horror. That I find <laughs> it, I find them very charming, even if they're not all great. Just the the atmosphere and the sets and mm. um, you know white british people fighting <laughs> vampires in mansions so exotic yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know that uh, art hindle was in uh he was in black christmas oh that, yeah who was he was he um 
he was, was Chris he Claire's Hayden. boyfriend. Was he Claire's boyfriend? Yeah, he was Chris. He was the one that with the funky dresser. Right. Uh, he had the fur coat on. Yeah. 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 So Kier Delea was um Olivia Hussey's boyfriend, and then I guess Art Hindle was Claire's boyfriend. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, all right. Well, I think that's that's all there is to say about the brood for right now, pretty much. I mean, while keeping it at a reasonable length. Yeah. I don't know if everyone would call this reasonable, but I do. So, uh, Miles, thank you again so much for coming on. I hope you'll come back for more. Yeah, thanks for having sometime. me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when was, you're was, uh, when you're when you've recovered. <laughs> when you have your own podcast, Miles, and you want to come plug it, come on the show again. Because one day, one day, I think I own more podcast equipment. Because I was just talking to Heidelberg about this before the before the show. I not only have a mic, I have a uh, boom arm, and uh, yeah, he's got a nice setup. Actually, why do you have all that <laughs> stuff? Because he's paranoid. Super that I'm not in- no yeah. He's a super interesting dude, and people want to have him on their shows. Yeah, he's exactly. He's ready for that shit. I don't. I don't well, want to come. I don't want to come off as an amateur when somebody asks me to be on a show. So like, I always upgrade my system every time somebody asks me. To I'm waiting for your your podcast is going to be epic. When it finally comes out, it's going to rock the world. Yeah, and as, soon I as, can't I think a, <laughs> as soon as I can think of a topic and and find a co-host, I'm I'm there. <laughs> Well, well, we've already got the topic. Miles hates everything. So Miles, I already go. told you. You're off and running. We do an anime show where you introduce me into the world of anime. I'm a, like a naysayer of anime. And then like you show me a, a topic each week and talk me into why I should love it. I'm only going to pick terrible ones. Ones that like. <laughs> well, they're all terrible in my opinion. So it's, it's okay. a, <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding, guys. I don't want to lose our anime fans. <laughs> Uh, so next week, we're going to be continuing on with the creepy children theme uh, for this month. And next week, we will be covering the classic, The Bad Seed from 1959, which I think is streaming for free on Amazon Prime, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's Torrent on Prime. I'm not positive. Is it I just oh, looked dear. it up. I think it's Torrent. Oh, I couldn't find okay. it free anywhere. Oh, dang. Sorry. Did they remake yeah, that? It's like three books. Huh? I'm not sure. Did they Maybe. That? They did actually. I, there was a TV remake, I believe, with Rob Lowe mm. in like okay. 2018 or something. Well, I'm definitely talking about the original one from 19. Oh, 56. I said 59. Yeah. I am just wrong a lot right now. <laughs> I think it's 56. <clears throat> okay, the one from the 50s. How's that? I have it written down as 56. Okay. So the bad seed from 1956. That's what we'll be talking about to continue on creepy children. In the meantime, if you have any insight as to the psychological issues going on in the brood, or you want to talk to us about anything else, feel free to email us at a cut above horror review at gmail.com. You can also follow if you're us a doctor, Twitter. write it and tell me why I'm afraid of pregnant women. That too, because I would like to understand that psychological <laughs> viewpoint. What it's a fear of commitment and the fact that you don't want to have a child yet. That's what it's that's what it stems from. Dr. Hydroberg's here to save the day. There you go. There you go. Now you don't need to pay for therapy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Cut Above Horror. Uh, you can catch us on Instagram at a cut above one word dot horror underscore review. You can catch us on Facebook also at a cut above colon uh, horror review. Yeah. And, and- What's that? Go ahead. I was going to say thanks for all the uh, five-star ratings that we've been getting on iTunes and on Spotify. Please, if you enjoy the show, like, subscribe, write us a little review. It helps us out. Um, We appreciate you guys. Every listener 
everybody who takes the time to rate us and review us. That's, that's awesome. So yes. thank you. Thank you for being part of our brood. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. I like that. I got to give a quick plug. I appeared on uh, Cinema Slab, Anna's uh, podcast, Anna Presley's podcast. Uh, Anna and Hannah are the main guests, uh, uh, hosts. I'm sorry. I was the guest. Um, and Hannah's little brother, uh, Hunter, is also a co-host. And we discussed uh, episode four to seven of The Last of Us recently. Oh, cool. So like a so chunk That's there. out right now. Episode seven of the Cinema Slab podcast is out there. That's awesome. Yeah, the Hyderberg so series. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, so I've been on twice. I'm going to probably be on the, the, the last one where we discuss episode eight and nine. Just cool. to round it out. So, yeah, but uh, it was a great time. And they're really, they're really fun group. So just want to give them a shout out. Cool. So everybody go check that out on Cinema Slab. Hyderberg, we do have a guest coming on next week. Should we keep that a secret or should we reveal it? Uh, we can reveal it. All right. So next week, we're going to be featuring Rob from the Circle of Jerks podcast. Uh, not a new guest this time and uh, definitely not strangers to us or especially to Hyderberg. Uh, he's appeared on their show a couple of times, yeah. as has John. I'm still waiting for my invitation, guys. So I'm going to take Rob to task a little bit next week. So, yep. Everybody tune in. Next week, we'll be talking about the bad seed with special guest Rob. So we'll see y'all then. And keep it creepy. <laughs>